really just not kind of sticking to like the accounting I'm doing my debits and credits, but thinking about how can I improve this? Like what is coming to me? You don't like what's coming in? Well then let's go try to fix it. Everything has a price, but it's super, super important to get, you'll get answers faster when people know where things are, how data is connected. And then you have a team that is built a little more strategically, do that critical thinking and take that next step of, I already have the data, what can I do with it? To me, that's really exciting. I think it's super valuable on a business because that's really what projected business forward. I have my data, now I can use it better. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers? Oh, it's so much more than that. Modernization. By streamlining the process. So let's get right down to business. And modern problems require modern solutions. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. Consider it done. This is The Closers. Hey, welcome, Adam. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to have you here with me on the record. Uh, We've had conversations before around revenue recognition, impacts of data, processes, uh, automation all around. Um, So I'm really excited to have you here today and have our listeners hear all the things you have to share. Well, thank you. No, I appreciate the invite and glad to be here today to discuss all these topics. I think they're a lot of fun and definitely get me excited. We're going to start the episode with our off the ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. So kind of curious what you do for fun outside of the office when you are not in deep, knee deep with revenue accounting. Uh, Revenue never sleeps. Um, When I do get a little (laughs) chance to take a break, uh, definitely going out and playing some golf is how I like to enjoy the nice days. Um, a nice little personal time there. Otherwise, some time here with my family is always a great treat. And so I have a little bit of a hybrid. So having a commute and driving is definitely enjoyable to kind of take a little break between being at work and then coming home. Well, I was about to ask you that. So when you're home, though, what does that look like? Do you have an office? Do you have to find a closet somewhere in your house to get away from that family? Like, what does it look like when you're working from home? So uh, I'm very lucky right now, unfortunately, to have my own office at the house um, and definitely something we planned for as before when we were all sent home and working remote. My wife and I sitting across the dining room table with a sea of <laughs> monitors in front of us on calls, talking over each other, trying to schedule that. Uh, but now I do have my own office. So it was nice to get a little separate space to get work done here and then have my home life a little bit I think COVID put everybody in this super uncomfortable place. We were all suddenly sort of working from home all in the same space. I remember there was one day where um, my kids were on each on a separate Zoom for their classes um, and everybody else in the house was uh, working remotely as well. And I was on a call and I picked up my daughter's headset from upstairs. And so I suddenly heard her teacher and then I heard her go, who's that man talking? And it was somebody that I was on a call with. Everybody's AirPods were crossing over. So it's it's a real thing. But once you can figure it all out, it, it's kind of nice to not have a commute into the office every day. It's a real thing. Yes. And, and I remember too, like taking my laptop upstairs at the time to have an interview, left my keyboard and mouse downstairs. My daughter gets a hold of it, has no idea. And everything's changing on my screen. Like, all right, well, I'll have to remember next time. Exactly. I guess it's the world we live in. Um, it is. And it just kind of makes for interesting uh, 
challenges throughout the day that we didn't necessarily anticipate. Yeah, you don't always think of all that. But uh, now I think as the whole world kind of gets into moat, hybrid, it's things that people look for, people plan for. So just getting familiar with it and being set up properly, I think just makes a big difference. Totally. Now, how about your team? Are they all remote? Do you guys meet in the office on a specific day? Um, so actually just hire someone new. Um, so excited to have them start on Monday, but um, still hybrid. So I try to get to the office about three days a week. Um, and we'll be a little bit more too is bringing someone on board. It's kind of, I find a lot easier to learn in person. Uh, there's a handful of people that are still coming into the office regularly. So be able to schedule those meetings or uh, we had we had someone fly in yesterday because we needed to get something done. Sometimes it's just easier to be in a room, lock it down, have a whiteboard in front of us, and let's get it done. Yeah. I think sometimes a lot easier. Um, I think some of the big thing, too, is you can have multiple conversations going on at the same time. You can have a little bit of a tangent, and that's cool, and that's real. Uh, whereas like a Zoom call, only one person can speak. Otherwise, it's very muffled. So yeah. in those I- situations, it just made sense. That's a fabulous point. And I think the way you just put it is just being able to interact a little bit differently. Certainly, we made do with what we had during COVID, but being able to be in person now and again, even um, makes it so much easier and so much more productive and takes a lot less time, which is kind of nice. So I do ask every guest this one question. And so I'm curious your take. We've really only had, I think, one repeat so far. So curious how you think of and refer to the holistic revenue process. Do you think of it as order to revenue, quote to revenue, quote to cash, lead to reporting, something else? How do you think of it? Yeah, so I think it's actually morphed a bit over time. As my original back in many years ago, I was thinking like the order to cash, you know, we're, we're getting a contract at that point, we're doing a contract review. And that's kind of like how I started in revenue. And then from there, it's, it's like, oh, well, actually, we need to construct this contract because I'm thinking, oh, I wish they didn't write this uh, or wrote it <laughs> differently. So it's like, okay, now we have to go back a little earlier. Now we're looking at the quote to cash. Like, okay, what is it that we're putting together? Because I need to understand the products. How do they interact? What do I need to, to do with that? We have SSP performance obligations. We have dependencies. We're really kind of on that quoting. And I mean, for me, I'm always interested in what's happening in any business that I go to and how business operates. So, I mean, I'm going back. Our, our current outline that we're working on is, is leads. I mean, we're taking the whole workflow. It's, okay, where are these customers coming from? Like, even when designing a customer hierarchy, we have to go back and think about how does a partner relationship that also has a large corporation, umbrella corporation with other holding companies, how are we going to organize that? Because at the end of the day, we're still going to have to report things. And I know I get asked a lot of questions of where does this come from? Can I move the data and look at it in different perspectives? I need to know how it's all mapped in order to do that. So what we're doing now is a full lead to catch. And I think it's really important to think about where everything is mapped and how we get the data. Because I get asked a lot of questions. I'm always curious. I'm always trying to link things together and understand it, to think about how can we use the data intelligently. So understanding the organization of everything, and that's really setting up your hierarchies, your customer hierarchies, your product hierarchies, really comes down to the lead. How does it actually come into the business as you even can report revenue in different ways that you're gaining customers? And what do you do with that? 
I love that. And I think you've convinced me to change how I think of it or, or uh, refer to it because um, just hearing the evolution on how you went from that order to revenue uh, thought process and really backing it up even farther, even earlier than quote and the reasons why. So I'm convinced and I think I'm going to have to switch how I'm referring to it. So thank you for that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I will add to that, like, that's not yeah. even where my role would end or a revenue role would end because we hand that off, right? There might be that FP&A team that is the next user of data after revenue. Okay, well, now that I know what happened in the past, I'm going to use that to maybe amend anything that I had planned for the future. So what they would need as an FP&A team might be a little different. So I need to also think about what's the information that I'm handing over beyond just SEC reporting or reporting to a PE firm or... There's, there's something else internally that we need to hand over. So we're always needing to think about what it is. Make sure. Maybe we call it lead to fully recognized <laughs> because there are lead so many iterations future. in there. <laughs> yeah. all, all in there. I like that. I like that. We can dub our, our own new uh, phrase, I guess. Um, so tell me about your current work and what you're doing right now. So really exciting opportunity. Super happy to be at BizCom now. And going through, like, it's, it's a great, successful company. So fortunate to walk into a business like that. Um, and now doing a lot of work in finance, accounting, really cleaning some things up um, that weren't necessarily important uh, previously to really understand our customer base, products, what works well, and how we, we elevate the company. Um, and also really specifically, too, of how do we get it to be 606 compliant? Because even with like a, a private company, you have kind of a little bit different standards because uh, you don't necessarily have CC quarterly reporting. Uh, so a little bit different there. So as long as you kind of get your taxes right at the end of the year, sometimes you could just call it a day. Uh, but that's not what we're looking to do. We really want to be accurate. We really want to get good information and good data. Uh, so in order to do that, that's why we're doing the lead to cash is really understanding what that long process is. So uh, right now doing a ton of discovery, asking a billion questions of everybody in the company to really understand like what that workflow is. How do we get there and see where can we, what do processes need to be amended? Uh, what processes are great that we definitely need to keep? Uh, maybe hadn't even thought would have needed to exist, but it's crucial to have happen. Um, so a lot of discovery and now putting it all together because you meant it um, and be able to support it for audit purposes and utilize the data. It's it's an interesting concept. So ha myself having both worked for private and public companies and even been on the auditing side, it's it's all so different. Curious if you have any like specific examples or maybe through your discovery, some of the things that you've seen that you've been able to really spend some time diving into. And if there's any one in particular that's of interest to you that you've kind of been diving into and you see as a top priority. Yeah. So the, it's, it's interesting to phrase it that way because it's going from public to private. I still operate with the standard of being at a public company uh, to really everything out, put everything, support everything, do a sensitivity analysis to really drill down to get there. And maybe not necessarily every business is different, not necessarily required. Like I put my bar there and that's what I strive to be. And 
nice because it's just it's not quite as high as public would be because we don't have to go through all those additional steps of well what is this auto request do you really need this i know it's not meaningful um but we could do like a envelope and that is okay to do uh but some some audit firms just you're not going to be comfortable with that depending on the size of whatever it is being looked at and so going through some some cleanup and understanding the data um, and see where the holes are and that's some things come to about okay are we do we have a cutoff is that really going to matter in this situation or not um and how are we going to do a catch up on that and get a little more leeway and flexibility if you do need to make an adjustment to a prior period uh you, you kind of have that it's like okay this is known i don't have to rush post thing and then once i nail it down now i can clean it all up um as opposed to force something through mm-hmm. and then go through a lot of iterations to get there yeah, exactly. Now, through this sort of new, uh, I'll say newfound freedom, and I don't mean that in a way where you are less compliant, and to your point, like you're still holding yourself to that same standard um, that you were in, in, in a pri- or, I'm sorry, in a public company. Um, but curious if that changes your ability to collaborate more with some cross-functional departments. I think, you know, sometimes in a a public company, so much time, especially after quarter end, is spent going through the process of disclosure reporting and pulling all the financials together. Curious if you've seen a difference in how much time that allows you to become more collaborative with some of those other departments within within the company. Yeah, I mean, time time is a very expensive commodity uh, that we all cherish very much. Um, and it's interesting because I kind of go maybe a little bit off the rails sometimes as I'm very interested in what's happening. I love talking to people again, why I love going to the office, being around people, having those conversations. But yeah, yeah like in public, we have filing days. You cannot miss them. So those are hard deadlines and businesses rely on them and depend on them. And so do your investors in private could have a conversation and say, okay, well, I was pulled away because I'm working on this other project also deemed as a priority. I can get you maybe an 80% good number for this hard deadline. Or if we push it out a week, I'll finalize it, wrap it up with a bow, and we'll be able to include anything that we were just working on. Is that something that's acceptable? And it, it could be that conversation be like, you know what? I'll take that week, nail down what you need to, and let's have a great discussion as opposed to a a good discussion that will have a follow-up anyway. So I think it provides that kind of flexibility with that communication and really like setting those expectations. Which is interesting because sometimes you almost think like with the public company purview, you want so badly to get it right down to such a small margin of error, right? But sometimes it's those conversations and pausing for a minute long enough to really figure it out, do it the right way, make sure it's not going to be a repeating, say, issue, challenge, whatever it might be, really taking the time to work through it and then makes it actually easier on the back end. So it's interesting that sometimes we we aren't allowed that that opportunity in a public company because of the the strict timelines. And so finding ways to make sure you can automate as much of it as possible to give yourself that time. But it's always, like you said, time is a commodity. It's really hard, especially in those public companies sometimes to to make sure that that's afforded to be able to do everything and get everything done. 
Hey there, I'm M. Daigle, Passionate Revenue Accountant and General Manager for Zora Revenue. I've been working on something really exciting that I don't think you're going to want to miss. On September 12th, we're going to be hosting our very first Modern Accounting Summit with our friends at EY, PwC, and Deloitte. It's a virtual event, and we're offering CPE credits for it. So please join us as we talk about our State of Revenue Accounting report, We're also going to be talking about generative AI as it relates to accounting workflows, and we're going to have a roundtable discussion with a number of accounting leaders. So again, you're not going to want to miss it. And if you can't join us live, please still register because you'll be eligible for those CPE credits even when you watch on demand. Hope to see you there. Let's jump to the general ledger. Now, curious, you and I have spoken in the past about like power of automation, being stuck in manual hell sometimes, which we I've actually joked about call, being called Excel, E-X-H-E-L-L. But kind of curious, what's your what's the craziest Excel spreadsheet you've ever seen? I think we all sort of have that thought about the times that we worked with one of those where we're just like, oh my God, like, can you think of how many tabs, how many lines, how many rows, anything like that, where you can think back and and really like are convinced you would never, ever go back to something like that again? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I probably do more than my share. I've had like, I have a few right now that are over a half a gig. So you can imagine the size of those things. I, I pushed a gig, an Excel workbook, which is kind of insanity. Um, but it becomes, it's super powerful and it's really important to me to be able to follow along with what's happening. So once you start separating workbooks and you do something in one workbook, but it doesn't flow to the other, yes, you can link them, but often links break, or if you're in the cloud, other people can't refresh it. So how to get it all into one spot, because I don't want to keep opening all these workbooks for a very large file, which can be a little difficult to manage. And I know myself, I end up creating something. And then as I learn more information, I can make those shortcuts, make those connections, rebuild. So there's a lot of them. Then we find ways to automate. And I think that's where we've come to on, on some of the larger ones too. I know like capitalizable commission costs, right? Cost of obtaining contracts. So we go through that and it's okay, well, I don't really want to be managing all this in a workbook anymore. It's easier to kind of like set up mm-hmm. and for people to understand <laughs> in Excel because you can make quick edits as opposed to a development engineering team doing something. And once you have something that you're comfortable with, then put it into an automated system, whether it be something that's native or scripted. Like, okay, maybe it's going to cost, I don't know, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, this thing. Okay, but I don't have to do this. We're going to ensure its accuracy. And now it's in forecasting. You don't have to come to me with all your questions. You see everything. I don't have to look at it and I can trust it. That's pretty valuable. That is huge. The trust piece is everything. Just being able to go to bed at night without laying there awake thinking, wait a minute, did I save it? Did I, I always joke, I used to like oversave everything and I would spend half of my time just waiting for the file to save because I'm like, I don't want to lose B14, this. B14, B15. <laughs> you just kind of see yeah. it making its way to to the full save. I think that's huge. But you brought up a really good point around 
like Excel is good for certain things, right? It's like the modeling of certain things to figure out how you want a system to work is certainly a great way to be able to test it, try it out, use some of those crazy, you know, uh, Excel formulas with VLOOKUPs and HLOOKUPs and if then or some if, all of those things. But it's nice to be able to use that to kind of figure out how you want certain transactions to look. So in the design phase, it probably makes sense. But to your point, like when you need that full visibility, when you need to be able to go back and look at it over time, it's really difficult when you've got to like use the find function just to be able to figure out which transaction you're looking at. And God forbid, you know, then transaction lines are separated and you've got to go find them all in some crazy spreadsheet that's never a, a fun task either. It's funny you said your file is so big, a half a gig. I remember when we had a computer just for our revenue file that had its own cube and its own computer. And it literally sat there and somebody would go in and work on it and then click save and then have to walk away. And we had a computer just for our revenue file, which is really kind of insane to think about today. But I think we'll always need Excel. I'm actually super dorky in the sense that like, I still put like certain schedules in Excel around like my kids or my, this is over the top, but I put my grocery list sometimes in my Excel file. So, and I have it by aisle, which is, again, I fully recognize super dorky, but also very useful to me. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. I appreciate that. (laughs) So curious, um, you know, thinking either now in your your new role, and it may be a little too soon for um, your newer team, but even in past roles as well, can you give us an example of a time where you or someone on your team really stepped outside of the traditional accounting role and partnered with the business in a way to achieve some sort of um, strategic outcome that really benefited the business? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the great part of revenue. Um, like the technical revenue accounting is generally like the foundation that allows us to thrive, in my opinion. And whenever I talk about a position that I'm either in or hiring for, I, I like to put a balance of like 50% technical accounting, 50% operational. They kind of have to step outside of a additional accounting role. There are companies that have specific contract reviews, revenue close, Okay, maybe a little bit larger, very specialized, uh, but I like the full view of things. So kind of stepping outside is that freedom. That's like the ad hoc projects you see in the job description. It's like, okay, well, it's really anything that you want to work on. Like I want to enable anyone on my team to go and face whatever it is that they want to do within reason because we self-support. We have our core job of getting our financials and supporting revenue. But in order to do that, I understand there's a ton of stuff you'd be interested in. The lead up to that, you have to work with sales and FP&A. You have to understand the plans. You have to understand everything, which is time consuming. And you ask a million questions and it could be like a couple of days before you actually put something together and have anything to deliver. That's fine. Um, or you don't get it right. Okay. We learned. We have great takeaways and we continue on. So it's almost like stepping outside is... Either or there is no outside. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know which one it is, um, but it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because I've actually had folks on my revenue accounting teams in the past who came into the team from a traditional accounting role, 
specifically because they wanted to do something a little bit different and they saw it as a more strategic role. And when they came on, actually ended up really establishing a, a career in revenue accounting because they saw it as more strategic, being able to impact the business and really felt like they had that full end-to-end view on everything from structuring contracts, helping to drive ways in which we can maximize the revenue that we can recognize. Also trying to figure out when the company wanted to maybe think about a new way to go to market, a new offering or a new pricing and packaging strategy. Being part of of that sort of motion was something that took them out of that, you know, debits and credits type of mentality where there are certain things that need to tick and tie every day. But um allows for, I don't want to say creativity in a way where it's um, being creative to work around the the bounds of anything, but it's really being creative within the bounds and being able to to maximize the the business growth within that. Are the teams already sort of doing that today? Do you think that's something that you can help sort of foster? What does it look like for you right now? So I think you kind of nail on the head. Um, so even when I first started in revenue, I was thinking it's such a small niche of accounting, you know, like CPAs, clothes, you know, all this stuff about all these things in accounting. I want to do revenue. Uh, it seems <laughs> so tiny, but in reality, obviously, you can tell, I hope you can tell. Like, I'm excited. It gets me excited to talk about this stuff and and talking about like pricing and strategy. And that's where data comes in, right? You have you have a pricing team. They may have some data. They probably have a lot of data, but it all goes back to revenue. What does all this stuff mean? What is actually being reported and what do we do with it? Pricing analysis in terms uh, here at Biscom, where we're looking to understand like what our pricing strategy was, what it had morphed to, and where should it go? Like, what do we need to do? What are, and it's, we need to know what are customers asking for. So what, because we want to satisfy the customer needs, but also we want to ensure that we are properly pricing our products uh, so the value is there. So we have to go through that. And it's a, a very much a partnership with product, with pricing, engineering. We even do this that we want to be doing. We have to build some of these things. Okay, let's talk about it. Or we have things that we're not really selling this. Like, is it, can we just cut it? Uh, do we need this on our, our price list? So how that's all set up kind of goes back to the hierarchies too. So understanding it, but we have all the data. Revenue has the data. So <laughs> that, you kind of go through everything. You start and you follow the trail and pretty much have it all. I love it. Now, um, I think, especially yourself as a revenue leader, what do you think are some of the key qualities or skills that you really believe are most critical to make sure that you and your team are successful? Definitely. Great question. And it's... Uh, Everything kind of comes back, as I see it, is a foundation core of technical revenue accounting. You kind of just need to read it and know it. And even if you're not the most proficient to know every detail, understanding the concept of, oh, that triggers something. I, let me go back and read what it's about. I, I don't expect everyone to know all the answers, make the conclusions on the fly. Hey, it's perfectly okay. I do it. Like I'm not going to sign off on this. I think that's okay, but let me check and get back to you. Perfectly acceptable. There's a lot of complexities that you want to make sure you're right. Uh, but just have that understanding of, oh, I, I think that that might be something. Do you have a, a financing component? I've heard of this. I don't know what this is, but I think you might be talking about it. Or material rights. Let me read about that. Like, 
particular ones you might not deal with every day, just know they exist, pause and think about it is wildly important to me. And then really just not kind of sticking to like the accounting I'm doing my debits and credits, but thinking about how can I improve this? Like what is coming to me? If you don't like what's coming in, well then let's go try to fix it. Be a little proactive or bring suggestive edits um, and really pull on the thread as I mentioned earlier, like, I want to enable anybody in the company, whether they're on my team or somebody else's, to go out and explore. So putting anyone on my team to, to go follow what they want and anyone that's coming to our team to be a partner uh, and collaborate on whatever is needed and to extend that time and the resources. Yeah. And I think, you know, having that trust both ways that the revenue accounting team knows the triggers, right? Knows what to look for, knows the gotchas. And then that the other teams, whether it be engineering, I love that you brought up engineering. I don't think we talk about engineering enough, but the engineering, product teams, um, marketing teams, sales teams, whatever all of those other, um, let's say, contract impacting teams, they feel confident that they can come to you and partner with you, work through it together, and that you are going to be able to help them sort of formulate the best path forward to maximize the revenue for the business and also help them ultimately um, achieve their initiative and whatever it is that they're looking to, to accomplish. I think it's important to establish a relationship too, because a lot of times myself and some of my team were asking questions, not because we're not necessarily the auditors. We're not going to like point you out, rat you out. Be like, You're not doing this wrong. It's, it's learning. We just need to understand and as an enabler, we want to help. So if you're doing a process that can be in a system or can automate, do you want to be doing that? Probably not. So how about we just put that in a system and now that frees up your capacity to either bring you back to a normal working schedule or provide capacity in to explore something else that you want to do. It's super valuable, super important. I love people. I love having them do things and valuable things that want to free up the time of those transactional rule-based things do more of the quantitative, qualitative stuff that humans need to be doing. You know, I think there's something to being able to really be that partner. And I think you just explained it so well in that it, the questions aren't coming from a place, from an accusatory place. It's not to point out the things anybody is doing wrong. It truly is to be able to make sure all of the teams are working better and smarter and more cohesively so that it makes the entire process that much more fluid, but also correct. And I've worked historically in, in organizations where that worked really well. And so, you know, when it does, it, it's, it's in, incredible what can actually be accomplished. Unfortunately, when teams don't work well like that and you know, maybe um, in this one particular instance, it was the sales team was trying to put these contracts together and almost hiding it because they didn't want to be told no. And unfortunately, what that did is created a significant amount of friction because then the revenue, you know, my team, the revenue team ended up always having to go back and sort of try and sniff out what was going on and always kind of felt like we were correcting them. And so there was always this friction when I went into a new company, it was very different. And the amount of productivity that we could actually produce was incredible. And that partner, having that strong partnership really changed the entire business and how we all work together. 
And so, you know, I think my biggest um, advice to any team would just be to create those collaborative environments where all of the different teams, whether it be engineering, whether it be product, whether it be sales, marketing, and the revenue team really do work closely together. So we can craft something, deliver something, contract something in a way so everybody wins. We just need to know that it's happening. Perfectly put. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. I have one final question for you. What should CAOs and other accounting leaders tell their CFO if they're not getting buy-in on some sort of process automation, some initiative, something that would really benefit the entire organization? What do you think that thing would be? I think it, it's the value that it creates. Having a consistent process that you put into something that is automated in systems, in technology, I think it, it it elevates the data that you can get out so you can pull it more easily. You can now do something with it. And that people, not to cut any staff, I, it frees up their time to do that critical thinking, to use that data and deliver something a level above what they were currently able to do if they're just always caught in the weeds of doing something. You can invest in that system. It might not be inexpensive to start. Yeah, I, I get that. But the long term of it, I think, is not invaluable. Everything has a price. But it's super, super important to get, you'll get answers faster when people know where things are, how data is connected. And then you have a team that is built a little more strategically, do that critical thinking and take that next step of, I already have the data. What can I do with it? To me, that's really exciting. And I think it's super valuable on a business because that's really what protect a business forward. I have my data. Now I can use it better. So I picked up today time, data. Those are big pieces for you. And I think should definitely be um, important things that we think about throughout the the companies and um, throughout our day to day. So Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure having you on and uh, look back, look forward to having you back again. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Adam.